Do you ever read your Bible and wonder how you fit in to the story? Sometimes you read it and because perhaps of our cultural ideas or because we don't understand what's really going on in the story or there's just something about it that seems like it's beyond our experience. And we just say, okay, well, this must have been for then, but it's, it's not for now. I honestly had to scratch my head a little bit as I came to this passage as we continue to mar- march through the gospel of Mark together. Because it seems like it's so particularly suited to Jesus' time that we might scratch our heads and say, where do I fit in here? Well, what are the, what's the story we're dealing with? Well, again, we come from context. Last week, we looked at the story of Jesus in his hometown. He's in his hometown of Nazareth, and it's a sad story. It's a sad story because the people who lived with Jesus for going on 30 years, his neighbors in this small hamlet, this small village, maybe two or 300 people that lived there, had seen all of his integrity and his character growing up, but because he was so like them, you grew up here, we know your parents, we know your family, they were prejudiced against him. And they wouldn't accept him. And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief because they, of anyone, should have been able to see who he was, the Son of God. And we talked about our own unbelief, that we, in our pride and connected to our prejudice, we ourselves can turn away in unbelief. Now we see that Jesus just moves on. He leaves his hometown. We have no record that he ever came back. This was their chance. And they turned their eyes away and their ears away in unbelief. Now Jesus is going to go elsewhere. Look what it says, verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. So you can imagine he leaves Nazareth, perhaps two, three, maybe 500 people, and now he's just going to little villages. He's just going to go even smaller, if you will, from small hamlet to small hamlet to small hamlet. Now let's come into verse 7. And he called unto him the twelve, these are his twelve disciples, and began to send them forth by two and two. So he sent them off in pairs, six pairs of two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take Nothing for their journey, save or except a staff only. So a stick, a walking stick. No script. This would have been a bag. What could have gone in this was food. What could have gone in this was money. They had no bags. No bread. No supplemental provisions. No money in their purse. But be shod or have sandals on and not put on two coats. Have only one tunic. Not two that those who were better to do would have done. A backup. And he said unto them, In what place soever you enter into a house, there abide till you depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. And go down to verse 12. And they went out and preached that men should repent, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Now you say, where do I fit in here? None of us are members of the 12. I don't know about you. Have, have you ever cast out a demon? 
Have you ever anointed with oil someone and they were miraculously healed like that? We might wonder, how do I fit in this? And then what about these odd commands? You can only take a staff. Only take a walking stick. Have one pair of sandals. Have one coat. One tunic. And don't carry any bread. You say, what is going on here? We're going to help learn what's going on here when we understand what Jesus was doing. Go back for just a few chapters to Mark chapter 3. We're going to get a sense of what's going on here when we understand who these 12 were. Go to chapter 3 and verse 13. It says of Jesus, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him, and he ordained 12. We looked at this several months ago now. He ordained 12 that they should be with him. Now listen. And that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So Jesus calls all of his disciples together. Now this is already a year and a half or more before Mark chapter 6. So we're going back in time. And it tells us why he chose them. He chooses 12. He ordains them because eventually he's going to send them to preach, to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. And now what happens here in Mark chapter 6? Now he calls unto them the 12. He sends them out two and by two to do what? To preach, to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. What has been going on for the last year and a half or two years between Mark 3 and Mark chapter 6? What's been going on? He's been training them. He's been teaching them. And now he says, like a mama bird, all right, chicks, get out of the nest. It's time to start flapping your wings. It's time to go out and start preaching. It's time to go out and put into practice what I have been training you for for the last year and a half or more. And so they go. In other words, this is a component of Christ's ministry training school. He has been training them and teaching them, and now he's going to send them forth, but he's not done here, because we know after his death and resurrection and ascension, these ones are going to go out to change the world, to turn the world upside down by doing the same thing, preaching, healing, and expressing the authority of God over demonic power. Now, friends, you and I, are not necessarily called out in the exact same way that these 12 were. But my point is this. If we want to be effective ministers for Jesus Christ in whatever way he has called us, there are lessons from Jesus' ministry training school that are going to be really important for us to learn. Do you want to be trained to be a minister for Jesus Christ and to have his authority as you go tell other people about him? If you do, there are lessons here for you. And the title of the message this morning is simply this, Lessons from Christ's Training School. Lessons from Christ's Training School. And we're going to look at three different lessons that we can see today when we just understand the flow of this passage and what Jesus actually is commanding for them. The first one has to do with their mission. Their mission. Let's look with me again. And he called unto him the twelve 
and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. The first thing he did was he sent them. Now, this may seem simple, but it actually has a very important truth. The truth is this. When you send someone, they are acting as your agent. Your agent. Now, you mean, what do you mean by that? Well, the law recognizes this. If you employ someone and you send them out to do a task and they are operating within the authority that they gave them, they're operating as your employee and you hurt someone, that employee hurt someone, guess who's responsible? Employer. Why? Because that employee was their agent. They were their representative. And the Jews would have known this of this day. When a prophet sent out people, they were representatives of the prophet. Jesus sends them out two by two by two by two. And they went out as Jesus' representatives. Now, not only that, he gave them power over unclean spirits. And what is this? The idea here is he gave them authority. The authority over the powers of darkness. What has Jesus been doing since that we've seen over and over in our ministry? Casting out demons. Casting out devils. Exercising the authority of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of the devil who seeks to bind men and women in slavery whether that's by his own possession of their bodies or whether that's the slavery of sin over their souls. That's the devil's desire. And Jesus came with the authority of Almighty God to deliver people from this slavery. By the way, he wants to deliver you too. If you're in bondage to sin this morning, there are sins that you do not seem that you have power to shake. They are repetitive sins over and over and over, and you know that in ways you're enslaved to them, and you hate it. Jesus came to free you. Jesus came to free you. You say, what do I do? Come to the light. Be open. Be humble. Be willing to get help. Be willing to confess your faults one to another and say, brother, sister, I need your help. God, Jesus came to give you that power. He came to free you. And so here the disciples now receive his authority. Can you imagine the sobriety of that moment when Jesus gives his disciples the same authority that he's been exercising? Wow. They've been seeing Jesus raise dead people to life. They've been seeing Jesus take a man who had a legion of devils in him and who was going around like a crazy person and Jesus exercises authority and he's totally well. They see Jesus healing, touching a leper and healing. And now they realize Jesus has given me this authority. They were his agents. They were acting under his authority, but not just that. It wasn't just about authority to do miracles. Go down to verse 12. And they went out and preached that men should repent. They had the same announcement that Jesus did. What was it? that men should repent? Do you remember what Jesus came? We saw this in Mark chapter one. When Jesus came, what did he do? What did he preach? Repent and believe the gospel. And friends, our message hasn't changed to this day. Repent and believe the gospel. They went out and they preached that people should repent. Now what does it mean to repent? 
Repentance does not mean that you need to clean up your life before you come to Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. How many of you, when you've desperately needed to go to the doctor, says, you know what, let me get better first, and then I'll go to the doctor? That doesn't make any sense. You go to the doctor to get better. And you go to Jesus to get better. But you know what? How many of you have never gone to, have, haven't gone to the doctor for something because you're just too stubborn? I don't need to go to the doctor. Now, ladies, I know this is you. It's not your husbands. That's not your husbands who act like that. Your husbands are always ready to go to the doctor at the drop of a hat. They say, your, your wife, I know you're not going to want me to go to the doctor for this weird-looking thing on my skin, but I promise I'm going to go right now. You can't stop me. No, us guys are the stubborn ones. We don't go to the doctor because we say, I don't need the doctor. Do you know what we need to do? We need to repent. And we need to say, I can't, I can't get this thing better. I need something else. And some of us are too stubborn to go to Dr. Jesus and say, I need healing for my soul. They say, I can do it. I'm a good person. I've, I don't deserve to go to hell. I'm not in a problem with God. Repentance is simply the humility to say to God, you're right and I'm wrong. The heart of repentance is the change of mind and the change of heart to, say, to humble myself before God and say, I need you. I'm not right. And friends, whatever confusion we have in our churches about whether the message of repentance is for today, it's, there's no confusion in my mind or in our church. Our message is one of repentance. Repent. You say, how do we know that? Because it was Jesus' message. How else do we know that? Because it was the early church's message. What was the very first word at, at Pentecost when they heard that convicting sermon of Peter and said, men and brethren, what must we do? What do we need? And he said, repent. That was the first message. And if you have any doubt about whether that was just to Jews, look no further than Acts chapter 17 about what God's message is. Paul is preaching to the Athenians, the Greeks, non-Jews, Gentile people, superstitious in their idolatry. And what does he, he say to them? He said that God has now commanded all men everywhere to repent. All people everywhere that covers all people everywhere. That means today. What's our message? Repent. Repent. And that was their message. Now what's the point? What is the lesson from Christ's ministry training school when we see what their mission is? It's this. Know who you are. Know who I am. Who are we? We are the representatives of Jesus Christ on earth why do we as Christians go around so often with slumped shoulders? With our chest tucked in like we're ashamed and we're embarrassed of who we are? People ridicule and mock us for what we believe and we say, oh, maybe, maybe they have a point. No, friends, stick your shoulders back a little bit. You're an agent of the king, King Jesus. You operate in this world under his authority. And let me be clear. You may never be called upon to cast a demon out of someone. You may never be called upon to anoint someone with oil and see them miraculously healed. You may never do that, but you operate under his authority nonetheless. Why? Because Jesus said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore. He said, said that to us too. Go. Why? Because he has all authority. And we operate as the body of Christ 
Ephesians chapter 1 says that his body, us, is the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are his fullness. We have his authority. And so we go. And what do we, when we go, what do we say? We can only preach his message. His message. What is his message? Repent and believe. These churches around us who seek to manipulate his message, who seek to shave off the parts of repentance because they don't want to offend a world that believes everyone has a path to heaven. The people who say, well, not that part of his message. Let's focus on this part. It's as if I want to say to them, who do you think you are? You cannot claim to act as Jesus' agent and give a different message than he did. If you want to start your own faith and say that it has nothing to do with the faith of Jesus Christ, be our guest, but do not come purporting to act as his agent and under his authority and announce a different message than he did. Friends, that's our calling too. We simply are called to speak it straight. This is who Jesus is. This is his message. He calls everyone everywhere to repent and to accept his salvation. There is only one way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The first lesson is know who you are. You are his agent acting under his authority and authorized to give his message. So let's do it. Secondly, we're going to understand something about their manner the manner of their mission. Notice verse eight. And commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save or accept a staff only, a walking stick. No script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And you say, what on earth is going on? Now think about what these disciples would have done. Jesus was sending them out on a short-term missions trip. Now, how do we know it was only a short-term missions trip? Well, because, again, in context, go, go, back, go down to verse number 30 of this chapter. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. So he sends them out. They do their missions trip as training for what they've already learned. And then they come back to Jesus and they say, Jesus, here's what we did. Look at everything that we did and taught. So this is a short-term missions trip. Now, this is why we should just understand that Jesus' commands here about what they should take in their life is not a command to everyone who goes out to be a missionary or to go out to be on a mission trip. The only, the, the only provision that missionaries should, should take need not be just a walking staff and sandals in one coat. How do we know this? Well, you'll see if you were to look in Luke chapter 22, you would see what Jesus is really getting at. Actually do that. I think it'll be helpful for us just very briefly. Flip over to Luke chapter 22, will you? Just want this to be settled in your own mind about what Jesus is teaching them here. This is in the upper room as Jesus is, is, um, is at his last supper. And listen to what he says to them in verse 35. And he said unto them, when I sent you without purse and script, without a, a, a bag and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said nothing. We didn't lack anything. 
There was nothing that we lacked, even though you sent us out with such little provision. Then said he unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his strip, his bag, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Now, you say, what is, what is Jesus getting at here? He was giving them a command in his training school for a particular purpose. What purpose? Well, what did he say to them in Luke chapter 22? When I sent you out with just a walking stick and just with sandals and just with one coat and with no food, did you lack anything? And what did they say? No, we didn't. Jesus was sending them out to teach them a message about depending on him. Can you imagine going out to be a disciple of Jesus? And he says, I'm giving you all authority, the authority of a king. And you think, okay, well, do I get to act like a king? No, you don't. You get to go out with no food and no money and a walking stick and sandals and only one coat. We'll see how you do. And then they come back and they say, wow, Jesus, we didn't lack any food. We didn't lack any money. What's Jesus teaching them? You can trust me. When I send you out on my mission, you won't lack my supply. When you go out in total dependence on me, you won't be found wanting. You won't be found lacking. This was the message that they needed to learn, a message of simplicity. But not only that, here's the other thing they needed to learn. Their simplicity was going to be its own message to the people they were speaking to. What would you have been like if you had been in one of those villages where these two people came in and they come in with only a staff and only sandals and only one coat? They have no food. They have no money. They are entirely single-minded, entirely focused on their work to do. And then they preach the gospel of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. And you see all their needs are met. Are met. They don't have any concern about worldly goods or material things. They are entirely focused on the message. You see, friends, that has its own power. Jesus was teaching them not only could they be dependent on him for their provision, for their supply, they could be dependent on him for the power of the message alone. And friends, can I tell you how much we need this message today? We need this lesson because in our American church culture today, there are people who are acting and teaching as if the power of the message is not enough. They need to add something else. Do you know what they need to add? Celebrity. If we show people that celebrities are accepting our message, our message will be so much more persuasive. There's actually a church, a large church in New York City, who was cordoning off in the front rows of their church an area, a VIP section of their church for celebrities, to encourage celebrities to come into their church. What else do we use? We might use various aspects, trappings of culture, of success, of money, of $500 shoes, of $2,000 suits in the pulpit saying, this is the message that we're giving. We're giving the message of the gospel, but come alongside because there's more to add to it. And friends, these people taught us, these people were learning and now teaching to us that Jesus says the power of the message is enough. Just preach, repent, and believe. And trust me to take care of everything else. You see, what's our lesson? Our lesson, first of all, was know who you are. Our second lesson is this, pack light 
pack light. Now, guys, I, I talked to the ladies before, and I know now i got to talk to you guys. I know when you go on trips, you're the ones that pack heavy. I know it's not your wives. I know they're the, not the ones who are filling up the suitcase with stuff. It's you guys. No, obviously, we, we, we have an idea on that. You know what the problem is when we don't pack light in life? We're weighed down with a lot of stuff that distracts us from what our mission as Christians is. I think of this as, as, as my life with little children. Have you ever seen a little child, a little toddler, trying to carry something that's way too heavy for them? And how just absolutely hilarious it is. Like they're already unstable enough and then they pick up something and here dad and they're just like they're on a, 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 a seesaw, right? I mean, and then they fall over and they can't get up. What happens? When, when we're trying to carry too much, we're entirely unstable. And Jesus isn't, isn't calling you necessarily to say, all right, you can only have one walking stick and one pair of shoes and one coat and that's all you get in life. But do you know what Paul said? He said, having food and raiment, let us be content. How many of us are, are content if we just have food and clothes? How, much, how many of us are trying to hold on to all of these little baubles, all of these little trinkets that the world offers? I want to hold on to this, and I want to hold on to that. And, and if I have enough free space, I want to reach out, and I want to grab that promotion. I want to grab that monetary amount. I want to grab that thing. And then we wonder why we're so unstable in our Christian life. I, I don't have enough time to tell people about the gospel. Why not? What are you holding on to? What is your life unstable with? Jesus' lesson to his disciples to pack light is the same kind of lesson he gives to us. It's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Don't worry about trying to hold on to as much as the world tries to hold on to. Pack light. Live for Christ. Let him be your first focus. And Jesus says, you're going to learn when you get to the end of the road, just like my disciples did. Did you really lack anything you ultimately needed? Your answer is going to be one day when you get to heaven, you're going to look back and you say, God, I didn't, I didn't need anything. I didn't lack anything that, you, that I ultimately needed. Thank you. Friends, pack light. The world wants to tell you to pack heavy. And you're going to be spiritually unstable and spiritually unproductive as long as you're reaching out and trying to hold on to everything that the world is pursuing. Pack light. So first of all, we see what their mission was. We, secondly, we see what their manner was. And third, we see what their mentality was. I love this. Notice verse 10. And he said unto them, In what place soever, in whatever place you enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Let's start here with their mentality. First of all, their mentality was entirely single-minded. Notice verse 10. In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. Now, the Jews of this day had a culture of hospitality that was very different from ours. You'll see elsewhere in the scripture, when a traveling teacher came to town, it was expected that that teacher would have a place to stay. Someone would just invite him into their house, and they would be their guests for as long as they were there. That was just the culture. 
So these people were going out knowing that they'd likely have a place to stay. And so what is Jesus saying? When you stay in someone's house, don't go to a different house when you're in that place. Now why not? Have you ever heard the phrase, don't look a gift horse in the mouth? Have you ever wondered what that means? Don't look a gift horse in the mouth? It's this. If you were going to buy a a horse, you would want to make sure you've got your money worth. So you'd make sure to check out their teeth to see how healthy they are. But I want you to imagine that someone is coming to give you a horse. They're giving it to you for free. And your first reaction is, let me see if it's a good one or not. Let me see if he's healthy. Do you know how offensive that would be? Have you ever had that example with someone? You've been offering someone a gift, and their first thing is, is it good enough for me? Now imagine what the reaction of someone would be if Jesus' disciples went into someone's house, and then suddenly a new offer popped up around town. They have a four-bedroom ranch with a pool in the back. See ya! We're going there. What kind of message would that send? It would not send the message that they were single-mindedly focused on acting as the agents of Jesus Christ under his authority. It would say that they were looking for other things as a benefit of what they were doing. And friends, do you know the same lesson applies to us? Our contentment with our, where God has placed us in life is a testimony to the people around us that he is enough for us. We're satisfied in what he's given us and in who he is for us. And by contrast, when we as Christians are always grasping, when we're all seeming to be discontented with where we are in life and where he's placed us and what he's provided for us, we're telling everyone around us, you know what, you're not good enough for us and he's not either. What is the message? It's this, it's not about you. My life is not about my comfort. My life is not about whether I fulfill every one of my dreams. My life is not ultimately about whether I get everything that the world is pursuing. My life ultimately is whether I am serving him and doing what he's called me to. And therefore, I'm content with wherever he places me. It's not about me. We see this not only about that, but notice in the next verse, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. See, this is weird. It wouldn't have been weird to them. Commentators tell us that when a Jew, a devout Jew, would leave Gentile territory, so imagine you're traveling into a Gentile town and you come out of the town. Do you know what these devout Jews would do? They would take their sandals off and they would shake the dust off. What would they be saying? We don't want any of your Gentile dust corrupting us when we go back into God's country. We don't want to take anything from you back home with us. And do you know it would have been a kind of testimony? It would have been a kind of statement from the Jews to the Gentiles? None of this. He said, what then would Jesus have been saying to his disciples? He would have been saying this. When someone doesn't receive the message of the kingdom that you're proclaiming, you are going to have a message as if you are treating them as the unsaved pagan Gentiles. You are sending a message to them that we have fulfilled our duty. We have done our job. We have proclaimed the message and it is up to you to receive it. And now we are going on. 
This would, have, this would have been a very sobering thing. Notice what Jesus says. This was for a testimony against them, a witness, a message against them. It would have been Jesus' message to those who would not believe that this is my message and it must either be taken or it must be left, but a decision must be made. Now notice what he says next. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. We've talked about this before, the idea that at the judgment day there will be varying levels of punishment in its severity for those who have rejected the gospel. You say, How, why, what is Jesus saying? Well, whose message did Sodom and Gomorrah reject? Who was the only righteous preacher who was there? A somewhat compromised guy named Lot. A guy who was interested in living in the gate of the city. He wasn't the strongest witness. Whose message were the people of these villages rejecting? The message of King Jesus himself at, with the authority, those who were going out to proclaim it. They would have a more severe judgment because they had rejected a greater light that was shining on them. What's the point here? There's a couple points. The first thing is this. Jesus was training his disciples to expect rejection isn't that the idea? If anyone doesn't receive you, what's he saying? Be ready. Be ready that people are going to listen to your announcement, to your proclamation to repent and believe, and they are not going to receive you, and they are not going to listen. They are not going to hear you. And Jesus says, it's not about you. It's about my message. So just stay true to my message. Just proclaim it faithfully. It's not about you. You see what the encouragement of this is, is that Jesus is saying, when people reject you, don't slump your shoulders over and say, oh, if only I would have been more persuasive. If only I would have had a little bit of a, of a different message to share, it might have been different. No, Jesus is saying, this is my message and preach my message. And when it's rejected, say, all right, there's someone else that may accept it. I'm not gonna be discouraged. I'm not going to be daunted by rejection. I'm simply going to continue to preach and to proclaim because ultimately it's not about me. It's his message. It's his authority. And ultimately it's his goodness that brings people to repentance. Turn over for just a minute. I want us to see this because I think it's so helpful in this day and age that we're in to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 a passage that's been a, a real message to me as I think about my ministry. Listen to what Paul says in verse 24, speaking to his protege, Timothy. He said, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, he must not fight, he must not quarrel, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure, the idea is if God perhaps will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now what's he saying there? You don't need to be an arguer. You don't need to be a debater. You don't need to be a quarreler. Why not? Because ultimately, 
what our hope is that God will give people repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. We recognize that ultimately it is his work in people's heart. It is his Holy Spirit opening people's eyes to the light. And that means it's not about me winning an argument. It's not about me knocking down every objection like some brilliant apologist. Should we train to preach the gospel? Should we learn ways to present it in ways that we hope will be effective? Yes, but ultimately, whose message is it? It's his message. Who's the one who gives repentance? He is. And so therefore, what do I do? I proclaim it, and I say it's not about me. It's about him. And so I'm gentle, and I'm patient, and I'm I'm, I'm not an arguer. I'm not a debater. I simply give the message And I trust in him to bring the results. Friends, the lessons here are so applicable to all of us. The first one is know who you are. You're his agent, operating under his authority and giving his message. The second is pack light. You're trying to hold on to worldly things in your life will only make you unstable in your spiritual life. And the third is it's not about you. It's not about your success. It's not about your advancement. It's about him and his message. So proclaim it faithfully. Friends, two things as we close here. First of all, you can't enter into Christ's training school unless you've entered into his kingdom. Have you repented this morning? Have you repented by humbling yourself before him and saying, you're right and I'm wrong? Have you believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for the hope of your eternal life? I plead with you, don't leave this door this morning unless you have repented and believed and entered the kingdom of God. And I know myself and anyone from this church would love to talk with you about that today if you have any questions. The second thing is this. Are you ready to go be his agent when you walk out this door? When you go home today in your neighborhood, tomorrow at your workplace, wherever you go, are you ready to act under his authority and give his message to whoever will hear? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. We thank you for the lessons from Jesus' training that we can take and apply to ourselves. Father, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your people to be your body acting as your fullness in this day and age today.